welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning, church. It's a blessing to be with you. A special welcome to all of our visitors. I hope you do come back, as, as Mike said, and join us for more times of worship together. If you would, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. This morning in this chapter, we're going to focus on the theme of blessing, which comes through clearly in this chapter in Genesis 27. But this isn't the first time we've come across the theme of blessing in Genesis. From the very first chapter, God begins blessing what he has made. He first blesses sea creatures and birds, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. That was the first blessing. So from the very beginning, we see that the idea of blessing is wrapped up in the idea of this divine favor of God's favor. To be blessed is to be the recipient of abundance from God. That's really what this idea is, is that God is pouring out abundance on what he has made. God then blesses Adam and Eve, saying this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He then blesses the seventh day and makes it holy. Then he blesses Noah and his sons, And then God blesses Abraham multiple times. We saw the the covenants with Abraham. He blesses Sarah and he blesses Ishmael. And as we saw last week, he blessed Isaac. God directly blesses his creation and his people throughout Genesis. But what we also find is that human beings also bless one another. Melchizedek, this king, this priestly king, blesses Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham, or blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. That was in Genesis 14. Now, this is different. Now, a human being is invoking a blessing, or they're calling on God to bless another person. Melchizedek is saying, may God give abundance to Abraham when he blesses Abraham. And typically, In the narratives we've seen so far, we get a sense that these human blessings are serious matters. It's not just like a a greeting as you're like, you know, may God bless you, you know, as you pass someone on the street. That's not typically what's going on here. Instead, these, these blessings are serious. They occur at deathbed scenes or after a great battle, after God's given a victory in battle or the last time parents will ever see their children. So far, so for a person to give or receive a blessing is a serious matter. It is given by a superior to an inferior so far in our stories that we've looked at these scenes. And it invokes or pleads with God to give abundance to another person. So this I'm just laying the groundwork for what we've seen so far in this idea of blessing specifically in another person blessing an inferior It is important to note that these formal blessings do not bind God to do what you ask. We we do not bind God. God has not given us the authority to bind him. If God is bound to do anything, it is only because he promised to do it. God says, I will do it 
and God will keep his promises. So instead of us binding God, we should remember that these human blessings were a request that God would do the good that we are asking him to do. And what we find in these, in these scenes, and these stories, is that these blessings were most effective when they aligned with what God had already revealed his will to be. The human blessings that stood the test of time were those that aligned themselves with the revealed will of God. Now we're in Genesis 27. And when we get here, we, we start to we get the sense as we read this narrative that a patriarchal blessing or the blessing from the, the father figure in the family, that this kind of blessing from the father to his children was expected and desired. The deathbed blessing of the father on his children was revered and desired, especially the blessing on the eldest son who would continue the family line. So as a father saw his death death approaching, he would call his children and bless them, blessing the eldest son with the greatest blessing and then giving him the lion's share of the physical inheritance like land, property, wealth as well. He'd give that as well, which is typically called the birthright, which we looked at in two chapters ago. So we see that there is a blessing and typically right along with that came the birthright. So it's these words of calling on God to bless his eldest son typically and giving the physical inheritance as well. That's where we're at here in Genesis 27. And so this is the biblical and cultural setting that we're going to drop into this morning in this chapter. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us as we come to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that it is rich and deep and that we will not exhaust this text this morning. I thank you for that. I thank you that if I, if I live another 60 years, then I will still be, be reveling in and rejoicing in the truths that you are revealing to me in this passage. And I thank you that that is true for all sitting here today, that as we come to your word, we will never exhaust it. I pray that as we come this morning, though, in this short time, that we would see some of the main points, that we would rejoice in, in some of the main things that you want your people to see, and that at the very end, that we will see how, how that Christ is the one, Jesus Christ is the one who brings every story to its completion. That is the fulfillment of every story, that he is our hope, our only hope, and that we are to seek blessing from our Heavenly Father in Christ Jesus. Would you help us as we look at this Old Testament story, yet, yet strive for the truth in Christ crucified, our, our hope of glory? Would you do that for us today? In Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin by reading Genesis 27, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 4. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He, this is Isaac, said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat 
that my soul may bless you before I die until there. The day of Isaac's death is drawing near and he calls his firstborn son Esau to a secret meeting in his tent. At first glance, this doesn't seem all that unusual. You know, there's no glaring red warning signs going on right now. But upon further reflection, things don't seem entirely right. Remember, it was common for the father to bless all of his children with some kind of blessing. Even though the eldest son got the the greatest blessing, the firstborn's blessing, it was still common for this to be a family coming together. We see this later in Jacob's life when he blesses all of his sons. So we need to remember that. That it was usual for all the, all the children to be brought, especially all of the sons. Also, this blessing was supposed to be formal. In many ways, it was legally binding where you would want to have witnesses who heard the blessing, who heard the final will and testimony of the father. This is where the, the father bestows authority over the rest of the family and gives rights to the majority of the family wealth. So this All of a sudden, we remember that this secret meeting with Esau starts to sound a little bit fishy. Then we have to remember that God's declaration, his promise prior to the birth of Esau and Jacob, who were twins. God promised that Jacob, the younger, would rule over his older brother, Esau. It would be unreasonable to assume that Rebekah, who received this promise in Genesis 25, it would be unreasonable to assume that Rebekah, if we know anything about Rebekah, that she would have just kept this quiet to herself. No. It's most likely that Isaac had been hearing about this for decades. We also remember that Genesis 25 tells us how Isaac feels about Esau, though. So this is where we kind of see why, why this is a secret meeting. We see that Isaac loves Esau, and we start to see why this this scene starts to make sense. Genesis 25, verses 27 through 28 says, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see this family kind of splitting over these two boys, these twins. So Isaac knows that God has reversed the order of blessing with his sons. Jacob has been chosen. So Jacob's the younger, but he has been chosen by God to receive the firstborn's blessing. He's been chosen to carry on the family line and has been appointed by God to rule over his brothers. But Isaac loves his oldest son, Esau. That's the hinge on this in this story. Isaac loves his oldest son, Esau. Isaac loves that Esau is a wild man, a great hunter, a man of the field, strong and rough, a real man's man. And even to this day, men still have an appreciation for a man's man. You know, like if you're not in that group, I mean, I understand, but I'm just saying most men still appreciate that. Isaac may even be admiring attributes of Esau that Isaac never had. So here's a father living vicariously through his son, who is all the things that Isaac may never have been in his life. Remember that Isaac's older half-brother was Ishmael. And what do we read about Ishmael? Ishmael was a wild man, a great hunter, an expert with the bow. While we get the impression that Isaac 
was a softer man. Nowhere is it implied that Isaac was a man's man. So Isaac has most likely favored Esau his whole life. I mean, it says that it says Isaac loved Esau and he's comparing his love for Esau to Jacob, like his love for Jacob. He, he out a way out loved Esau in comparison to Jacob. So Isaac's been encouraging Esau all his life in all his pursuits, praising him and blessing him with his approval, all stemming from a selfish love that seeks to live vicariously or indirectly is what that word means. Live indirectly through Esau, watching Esau fulfill all the ideal things that Isaac thinks of when he thinks of a real man's man. So because of his love for Esau, Isaac calls his eldest son privately, hoping to bless Esau without too much, without drawing too much attention. He would prefer that Rebekah and Jacob only find out about the blessing later, since Rebekah loves Jacob most. The passage says that. And she has most likely been reminding Isaac for the past few decades that Jacob was chosen by God to lead the family. In this moment, I believe we can confidently say that Isaac is in rebellion against the words of God. And he is attempting to bypass the convicting words of his wife by secretly meeting with Esau. But what Isaac doesn't know is that Rebekah has been listening to this entire scene from the other side of the tent flap. And if we know anything about Rebecca, it's that she's a doer. She's a she's a go getter. When she sees opportunity, she reaches out and she grabs for it. If you think back to how she spent over two hours watering the camels of this wealthy servant in previous chapters, and then how she leaves her homeland to go marry a complete stranger when she hears that he is prosperous and wealthy, that God is with him, she leaves her family and goes. And so it's probably a combination of faith in God, but also this, I see opportunity calling me and I'm reaching out and grasping for it. And I think we're going to see this again in the following verses, beginning in verse 5. We're going to read through 17. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and and bring it, Rebekah said to her, her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob, until there. 
If we thought that Isaac's love for Esau was fierce, then it has been outdone by Rebekah's blind love for Jacob, just in these few verses. Rebekah was supposed to honor and respect her own husband, but her desire to grasp the blessing for her favorite son drove her to rebel against her primary responsibility as a wife. Then, not to be outdone by Isaac's deception, she's like, okay, I see what he's doing here. He's trying to sneak Esau in the back door. I see what he's doing. So not to be outdone by Isaac, Rebecca puts on display her own ability to get what she wants through trickery. Jacob is the one we typically think of. We think of someone who's a deceiver. We normally think of him. But notice where he got his training. He went to the university of Isaac and Rebecca. And, and Rebecca, his mother, to an even greater degree, has trained him in the way of deception. We might be tempted to sympathize with Rebecca. After all, she was attempting to keep the promises alive, the promises of God alive to her son, Jacob. We might, we might sympathize with her, but having a good end goal to never justifies wicked actions. How many times do we see in Abraham and Isaac's life the lesson that God is never pleased when we lie, cheat, or steal in order to save the promises? I feel like that was the point of like six or seven sermons over the last few months. When God's people lie, cheat, or steal in order to accomplish something they they think is good, would be good in the end, It only puts on display our unbelief in the ability of God to provide. It puts on public display our doubt in the ability of God to keep his promises to us. In this scene, Rebecca has sinned against God by rebelling against her husband and by deceiving him. She may be intelligent and driven, but she is a sinner who has only put on public display her unbelief in the providence of God. And then she encourages her son to do the same by wrestling for what belongs to him. Let's look at the next scene in verses 18 through 29. So Jacob went to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, 
The smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you until there. Can you imagine the tension in this tent? Jacob knows that he's on a knife's edge. I mean, imagine him wearing clothes that are too big for him. He has goats, like furry skin, like strapped to his arms and around his neck. I mean, you know, Isaac is blind at this point. He can't see any of this, but we should be seeing this in our our mind's eye. How ridiculous this is as he wears his older brother's clothes, trying to fake his way into his older brother's position, his older brother's blessing. Jacob knows that he's on a knife's edge. He knows that his father loves Esau. He knows that he is doing wrong. And he has already expressed his fear that if his father discovers the deception prior to giving the blessing, then he will only end up with a curse. He will earn a curse. He'll be deserving of it. He knows this. Remember how one of Noah's sons centuries before had shamed his father? Remember the curse that was given to his descendants in Genesis 9, verse 25, we read the curse. It says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He wouldn't just be his brother's servant, no. He would be his brother's servant's servant, the one who serves other servants doing the most menial of tasks, the lowest of the low. That was the curse brought for shaming one's father in that scene with Noah. Surely Jacob was afraid of invoking this type of curse upon himself. And in his fear and anxiety, he is struggling to imitate Esau's voice. I don't know if he had to go low or, you know, we all just imagined that. He couldn't get low enough to get to Esau's voice. And as Jacob speaks, Isaac picks up on the discrepancy. Since Isaac was a deceiver himself, he seems to be on high alert for anyone trying to take advantage of him. In the military, we called it like having a, my radar is always going. I'm always watching out for someone trying to, you know, take advantage of me. So his radar is working, looking out for deception. And that's why he goes through all the elaborate steps of feeling his son's hairy hands. He's, he's placing his hands on the goat hair. He's like, yeah, that feels just like Esau. You know, which we try to imagine that, you know. It's just like, uh, he places his hands, uh, his, his hands on the, the hairy hands of what he thinks is Esau. He tastes the food, thinking like, yeah, this does taste like the food Esau makes. And he smells the field on Esau's clothes. So Jacob's dressed up in his older brother's clothing. And that is what Isaac smells. Jacob, uh, but, but ultimately, Isaac is out-deceived by better deceivers. That's what the story, it's just it's what this, the bottom line is, is that Jacob, he's a deceiver. Sorry, Isaac is a deceiver but Isaac is out-deceived by better deceivers. Jacob and Rebekah are better at this. And Isaac finally speaks the blessing of the firstborn over Jacob. If I get Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Rebekah mixed up, please forgive me. There's a lot of names to keep straight here in one family. 
So what we see is that Jacob has sinned against God by rebelling against his father and in wrestling the blessing by deceit. Notice in the narrative the three lies that Jacob speaks to his blind father. I mean, this is despicable. His father is blind, aged, he's about to die, and this is the way his son treats him. Verse 19, he answers, I am Esau, your firstborn. So he lies. I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I'm told that in a Hebrew sentence like this one, where two descriptions of the same thing are put next to each other, it is the second description that is meant to carry the most significance. So he says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. So in Jacob's mind, he's only telling a half lie. He lies about his name being Esau. Yeah, I'm not Esau. I'm lying about that. But according to God's word, Jacob was to receive the firstborn's blessing. So you see this, I'm Esau, your firstborn. So in Jacob's mind, he's only telling a half lie because he believes and he knows that he is to be the firstborn by blessing. Then in verse 20, Jacob takes God's name in vain. He blasphemes saying that the reason he has returned so quickly is because God granted me success. Then in verse 24, Jacob has one final opportunity to repent and turn from his deception. But when asked if he is truly Esau, Jacob says, I am. Once you commit to deception, to lies, you quickly begin to realize that you've backed yourself into a corner where the only way out seems to be more lies. That is the end result of deception, is that you continue to lie and lie and lie. But now that Jacob's deception is complete and his father is at ease, he finally hears the words of blessing pour over him. This is what he's been waiting for. Imagine with me what this moment was like for Jacob. All his life, this adult man, now he's roughly around the age of 40, I believe. This adult man has heard his father's words of praise and encouragement fall not on him, but on Esau, his favorite, the one he loved. Isaac said things like, Esau is so strong, Esau is so tall, what a wild man. He's so manly. His wild game is the best. No one can hunt like him. No one could lead this family better than him after I'm gone. But now, finally, Jacob stands in front of his father and his father genuinely with full affection and sincerity, speaks words of blessing over Jacob from his soul. This is probably the first time Jacob's ever heard his father speak like this to him. The words were powerful, and God heard this request for abundance, and Jacob would be blessed. He would be blessed. But I believe that as Jacob stood there, he still felt unsatisfied in his soul because he knew that these words were meant for another. They were meant for his older brother and that Isaac, his father, wouldn't have intentionally spoken them to him. Love, praise, and blessing that is gained through deception and lies doesn't satisfy our souls. If we are putting on a fake persona, pretending to be someone we're not in order to gain someone's approval, 
then their praise of us, their love of us is fragile because we know that what they truly approve of is a false idea. It's the lie. It's not who we truly are. We've been faking all along. And if they knew who we truly were, their praise and their love would die with the truth. We all desperately long to be accepted for who we truly are by the ones we admire most. But our fear of being rejected drives us to pretend, to act like we're someone we're not. And then that pretending leads to more pretending. We have to keep up the charade. And then we find even more fear growing inside of us as we fear the day when we will be exposed for the lie that we've told, for the fake person we've been putting forward. Jacob longed to be blessed, but we know this scene did not satisfy the desire of his heart because in the following chapters of Genesis, Jacob will continue to grasp after blessing. In the chapters that follow, we will see him continue to wrestle with man and with God in order to be blessed. That's really the story of Jacob's life is that of a man wrestling with other men and with God in order to to receive to gain a blessing. That's the story of his life. But for now, let's look at the final character in this scene. Let's look at Esau. In verses 30 through 41, we read, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? which means he takes by the heel, he snatches the heel. For he has cheated me these two times. He's talking about the birthright and now the blessing. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not a reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants And with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed them. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. 
Then I will kill my brother Jacob until there. In verse 33, we see something very interesting. When Isaac fully realizes that he has been deceived, he doesn't fight against it. In fact, it seems as if this aging man finally bows the knee to God's purposes. Notice how he says of Jacob, I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. It is as if Isaac finally acknowledges that he has been fighting against God and accepts defeat. We see this acceptance of God's purposes again in the following chapter, in chapter 28, where Isaac will knowingly bless Jacob again with the blessing of Abraham, the firstborn blessing. So he will repeat a similar blessing knowingly to Jacob. We also see that Esau will struggle for abundance. And these words from Isaac are really prophetic. This is God giving Isaac, this understanding of what is going to happen in the future. Esau is going to struggle for abundance, his descendants as well. They will live by the sword and they will serve their brother Israel, which Jacob's name is changed to Israel later as a people, the Israelites. Edom will serve Israel. And we, we find out later that only after many years of service to Israel would the Edomites be free from servitude. Finally, in this section, we see that Esau's response to these words reveal, reveals his character. Esau has known about the words of God all his life. Again, it is unrealistic to expect that this is the first time Esau is hearing about this. Most likely, Rebekah has let the family know that Jacob, her favorite, has been blessed by God from his birth. He has, Esau has known about the words of God all his life, the promise that Jacob would be blessed by God over him, but Esau rejects the words of God and decides to take matters into his own hands by killing his younger brother. This way, the blessing of the firstborn could revert back to him. Does this sound familiar at all when we look back in Genesis? Think about Cain and Abel. The hatred towards the younger brother that was accepted by the Lord in Cain's life. I'm going to kill him. And he does. He kills him because God favored or looked down favorably on Abel. And it's being repeated. At least this type of story is being repeated here in Genesis 27. When we look at this broken family living in tents in the wilderness... We should come to the realization that this is a brief picture of human history. Families lying, cheating, and stealing. Selfish love. I mean, you shouldn't really even call it the word love, it feels like. It's really just selfish desire to to have a child love you back. It's, It's very selfish. We see murderous hate. We see rebellion against authority. And ultimately, unbelief. In the goodness of God. Unbelief in the goodness of God. 
Human beings have doubted the goodness of God and have desired to find abundance in their own way ever since Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree. Think about it just for a second. Even in Adam and Eve's story of rebellion where they reach up and they take from the forbidden tree, they were attempting to wrestle or steal a blessing from God. They wanted the knowledge of good and evil for themselves And they were not willing to wait on God or to obey God, to allow God to bless them in the right time, in the right way, with the right things. And humanity continues to pursue blessing in the wrong way to this day. Think about a murderer or two spouses fighting with one another. Or think about a toddler who's throwing a tantrum on the floor, screaming and kicking his feet. We have all, in these different ways, attempted to wrestle a blessing. We want what we think is the most abundant, good thing that we could have right now. And we are wrestling for it, fighting for it, seeking it with all of our passion. We are seeking to grasp abundance for ourselves. But the story of the Bible reveals that mankind cannot bless themselves. And every attempt that mankind makes to wrestle a blessing for themselves is vanity, which means it's a striving after the wind. It's a worthless pursuit that ends in emptiness. If we are wrestling for good things in the wrong ways, not according to God's will, The scriptures reveal that there is only one way that eternal, lasting blessing can be found. There's only one way to find eternal abundance, eternal good. The only way is through the grace of God. Grace means unmerited favor. It's the idea of a gift. It's something you have not earned. It's something that's given. The grace of God is is the blessing that we should be striving for, that we should be looking for, hoping for. You cannot earn the grace of God. You cannot work for it. And you cannot steal it. Remember from our story that no one in our story today deserved to be blessed by God. No one did. Jacob did not receive the blessing because he was the most godly brother. No. And he, was, he didn't receive the blessing because he was the most cunning and he just, he got it through trickery. No, that's not why Jacob was ultimately blessed. Jacob received the blessing because of God's grace, which is God's unmerited favor toward Jacob before he was born. Remember the promise? God said while they were still in the womb that Jacob will rule over his older brother And that he would inherit the blessing of Abraham. The reason that Jacob was blessed was because of the grace of God. And the same is true of us. The Bible says that God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This happened before we were born. God poured out his grace on us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we were still sinners. Before we were born, 
All, and then, you know, we're going to live a sinful life. None of us are born saved. All of us are born rebels to God. But God still sent his son before all of that, before we were born or had an opportunity to do right or wrong. The New Testament reveals that Jesus Christ was born like us so he could live and die as our older brother. This theme, this idea of Jesus as our older brother is taught in Hebrews 2, verse 17. Let me read that for you real quick. Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or payment for the sins of the people. He came to make payment for his younger brothers. But you may ask, why did Jesus Christ have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because his younger brothers had sinned against their heavenly father, the one who made them. We have all rebelled against God, all of us. And we all deserve to be eternally cursed like Jacob deserved to be cursed in this story. But the father sent the firstborn. This is another picture in the New Testament that we see. That Jesus is the firstborn. He is the heir of all things. And God the Father sent Jesus into the world so that his younger brothers might be saved from the curse we truly deserve. And not only have we been saved from something bad, from a curse. Not only that, we have also been blessed in our older brother. Jesus also came with the very purpose of welcoming us into his blessing, his blessing as the firstborn. We don't have to pretend to be clothed in our own righteousness. Please hear this. This is so important. We do not have to dress up in goat skin and fur. We do not have to pretend that we are righteous to be accepted by the Father. We do no longer have to have to carry that burden. And many of you sitting here are still carrying that burden to this day. Even though you've known the Lord Jesus Christ for many years, you are still attempting to put on your own goat skins to impress the Father. No, we no longer have to pretend to be clothed in our own righteous deeds. No, our older brother willingly gave us his robes of righteousness, clothing us in his clothing, while at the same time he willingly took our filthy rags. That's what the scriptures call our works that we do on our own. He calls it filthy rags, the thing that you throw in the dung heap. Jesus Christ took those filthy rags and placed them took them on himself as his clothing while he hung on the cross for our sins. It's the wonderful exchange. It's his robes for mine. Jesus alone deserved blessing, but instead he bore the curse alone on the cross. We all deserved the curse. We deserve to be cursed like Jacob, but instead God's people have been blessed as if we were the firstborn. 
That's why Ephesians 1 verse 3 and other passages like it say things like, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is just one verse among many that speak of us, God's people, his younger brothers and sisters this way. If you are in Christ, you have been received Loved, welcomed, and blessed as if you are the firstborn, the beloved of the Father. This doesn't mean that we replace Christ. No, we don't replace him. We are in Christ. We share in his blessing. Jesus is good. He is faithful. He is worthy. He is the perfect older brother. But instead of casting us aside, he laid down his life so that we might share In his blessing. This is the good news. This is our only hope of blessing. Our only hope. There is no other genuine hope other than this one. To be robed in our other older brother's righteousness in his clothes. That we might be found in Christ when we stand before the throne of God one day on the day of judgment. This is our only hope. The blessing of God comes by grace through faith. That's what we read in the scriptures. By grace, by the grace of God through faith. You cannot steal or cheat your way into this blessing. You cannot put on religious clothing to impress God. We see that all around us where people try to impress God through their own deeds or even in the way they dress. No, that does not impress God. We must all come to God as disobedient sons or daughters. And we must confess that we are sinners. That God alone is righteous. And that that we desperately need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. And clothed in the righteous robes of our older brother. Nothing else will do. This is the only way to receive eternal, lasting blessing and to live with the radiance of our Heavenly Father shining down on us from today. It can start today for you until all, through all eternity. Romans 10 verses 9 through 11 say this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. That means to be declared righteous because you're now clothed in your older brother's clothing. God looks on you and says you are righteous because of Jesus. For with the heart one believes in Jesus and his righteousness. And you are justified. You're declared righteous. And with the mouth... One confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him in Jesus Christ will not be put to shame. When we stand before the throne and God looks on us and hypothetically says, why should I allow you into my eternal blessing, into my eternal kingdom? If that scenario ever happens, our only answer is because of the blood in the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ, which has washed me and clothed me. That is the only hope for entering into 
the eternal blessing of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for Jesus Christ, our older brother who has gone before us. I thank you that he bore the curse. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to share your righteousness and clothe us in your righteousness. Father, I still to this day do not comprehend how you can look on me and be pleased as if you were looking on Jesus. How you can do that for every one of of the rebels whom you have saved. How you can look on a rebel who is dressed in filthy clothes. How you can wash them and clothe them and now look on us with joy even though we are completely undeserving. How you can do that I still cannot comprehend. Yet Lord, I believe it. We as your people, we, we hope in it. It's where we place our faith. It's not because we fully can understand it or explain it. It's because that is where we're placing our hope in our faith, and because in faith we follow Jesus and obey his commands. Lord, would you cut deeply into our hearts this morning? Would the word of God cut out unbelief? Would it cut out false religiousness? Would the sword of the word cut out our false notions of our own goodness instead Proclaiming that we would all proclaim that God alone is good and it is only by the grace of God that any one of us is saved from the wrath of God. It is not because of us and none of us can point to our own lives and say, I am the reason I am born again. None of us can do that. Lord, would you cut deeply into each one's heart and if anyone is here today who is not is not believing or trusting in Jesus, who has not been washed and has not been robed in Jesus' robes of righteousness, I pray that they would not leave here today before bowing the knee to Jesus, confessing that, that Jesus is Lord, that God alone is good, and that we are sinners before you, and we are in need of our older brothers washing and clothing. Lord, would you bless our time as we come around the table, the Lord's Supper, and remember Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, would, you, would you do a work in us and would you pour out your grace on us? We love you. Amen.